Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful for how much you love us. I'm so thankful that you've given us the body of Christ, where together, with Christ as the head, we accomplish your purposes. Father, as, we, um, as the message is delivered today, I just ask um, that you would make sure that every word that is heard, that is from you, would pierce their hearts and draw them closer to you. Any words that I added in there that were extra, I ask that you have those fall to the floor and that nobody would remember them. And Father, I just thank you that with every breath, we know that we're dependent on you, and I pray that, um, that we will just have a new realization of that today and that we will draw closer. In your son's holy and precious name, amen. So this time of year, I find myself frequently wondering, what season are we in? In the mornings, I wake up and I say, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful fall weather. And then by mid-afternoon, I'm saying, Lord, when is this summer ever going to be over? Uh, I get so confused, I have to reorient myself to the calendar. And it's funny, I even did some research this week because I'm like, I'm sick of this. And I looked up, and do you realize that on February 21st of 2023, we had our first day of the year that hit 90. And here it is in the end of October, and we're still struggling with the high temperatures. But we've had a little reprieve in the mornings, and it's been beautiful. But I realized that it's not only um, that I struggle with the calendar. Oh, and by the way, I want to add one more thing in there. Just in case you haven't looked ahead, nine weeks from today is Christmas Eve. Shocking, isn't it? See, I saw a couple of you look and go, whoa, and that's kind of what happens to me too. Um, I even counted it three times to make sure I wasn't wrong, and I really freaked myself out when I did it. But I realized that I do the same thing in the seasons of my life here on earth. Last week, Suzanne Summers passed away, and in first service, everybody knew who Suzanne Summers was. I'm seeing quite a few nods, but if anybody doesn't, Suzanne Summers was an actress that was on Three's Company, which I watched for a good portion of my growing up years. It was very popular, and that was back in the old days when we only had three channels, and we watched the same TV shows all the time. But when I heard she died at age 76, I quickly did the math, and I thought, wow, that means I could die in 14 years. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I went down this whole path about whether I've been of any significance, and you, you can imagine how that story went. But then God reminded me that just the week before, I had seen a story about a woman who was 104 years old and had gone skydiving. And man, I was so impressed with that. They're even trying to get her into the Guinness Book of Records. And I thought, I want to be like that. I want to be living my life to the fullest and to the very end of my time here on earth. But whether it's 14 years or whether it's 42 years, what, what needs to happen is allowing God to accomplish his purposes through me. It requires a daily focus of prayer, surrender, and obedience. And it also takes you. I cannot do it alone. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, a letter written by Paul to the church in Thessaloniki. Please turn to your Bibles in 1 
to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, and I'll give you a little context while you're looking that up. The author of this is Paul, and he's joined in a salutation by Sylvanus, and I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I've always called him Silas, and Timothy. And he's writing to the church at Thessaloniki. The establishment of the church is actually recorded in Acts 17, 1 through 9. On his second missionary journey, Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, had just left Philippi and were passing through some other towns to arrive at Thessaloniki. As was his custom, Paul immediately located the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews for three Sabbaths concerning Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Having three weeks and having to beg for three weeks to tell people and hope that they get transformed into following a life, following Christ with their life. While some of them were persuaded, including a great number of devout Greeks and leading women, and I thought it was so interesting that they included that, the unbelieving Jews became jealous and created an uproar in the city. Therefore, it became necessary to send Paul and Silas away secretly by night to Berea. Despite such ominous beginnings, a strong church was established in Thessalonica, mostly Gentiles. So 1 Thessalonians is considered one of Paul's earliest epistles, his letter, if not the first. The letter itself, and the record of Paul's travels and acts, it appears that Paul wrote this letter soon after arriving in Corinth on his second journey. This would put it somewhere around 52 AD. The abrupt departure from the Thessalonica so soon after the beginning of the church naturally left Paul anxious about the condition of the brethren. When Timothy joined Paul at Athens, which is in Acts 17, 14 through 16, his concern prompted Paul to send Timothy at once back to Thessalonica to encourage and ground the new disciples in the faith. Listen to his purpose, to encourage and ground the new disciples in the faith and to learn how they were enduring the persecution they were going through. When Timothy returned to Paul in Corinth, the news was mostly encouraging. Despite persecution, they had remained strong and even proved themselves to be an example to others. Yet, as with any young church, they needed further instruction concerning holy living. They also needed to be reassured that their loved ones who died in Christ would not miss out on the blessings involving the coming of our Lord. So today I'm going to start out by reading these, this passage, and then I want to go back and break down verse by verse some of the things that uh, God just reminded me of and showed me of and really helped me grow this week. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Verse 1, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve a living and true God. And then we finish it up in verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. So Paul wanted to encourage the new church to stay strong and to stay grounded in the faith. As believers, we too are commanded to encourage one another for the sake of the gospel. Hebrews 10.24 tells us, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let's take a look at each verse and see how God led Paul to do that for the new church. First, it, just, it started out right in the first verse. The letter is written by, to the church on behalf of three leaders, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, in the name of God the Father and Jesus. And I thought a little bit about what all Paul had been through prior to this. He'd been through the, uh, he had departed with Barnabas. They went separate ways because they weren't in agreement. Then he had been imprisoned and uh, a miracle happened and the earthquake came and he was freed. So there had been some lows and then there's been some incredible highs. And I can only imagine starting the new church, he had to be in on fire. But, you know, God's very careful with everything that he shows us. And what he shows here to me is he's showing unity and community. He didn't send Paul on his own. He didn't send Timothy on his own. There's unity and community. And the message is grace to you and peace, the core essence of our Christian life. When you look around at our church or the church in general, the big church, isn't this what we want for them? Isn't this what we have been given grace and peace, the cornerstone. And in verse 2, it says, we always give thanks to God for you. Why would they give thanks? They are proof of the gospel of transformed lives. They're enduring in an environment of persecution. They are proof the kingdom of God is growing. And we mention you in our prayers constantly. Why do they need prayer? It's not like God doesn't know what they've been doing. What are they praying for him? The next verse tells us, Remembering for, before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in Lord Jesus. Three things, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Why do you think they prayed constantly about these things? Uh, we already mentioned it wasn't news to God. But how do you think they felt when they prayed about these things? What did it do for them? I was just thinking about how often our prayer life is surrounded on just needs, and we forget to go beyond that. And God had been speaking to me recently about my own prayer life. Um, and it's funny, it came up again right before this service. But uh, I used to have a nickname called Prayer Pig. And actually, it was one I was quite proud of. Um, but the, I got the nickname because 
if you're in a group of people and nobody wants to pray out loud, I always volunteer. And it's because, you know, God has impressed this vision on my, uh, on my mind and in my heart that when we pray before God that we're actually stepping in front of Him and opening our mouth and connecting with Him. And I just love that I've been invited to do that. And so if nobody else wants to do it, I'm happy to do it. I want to connect with God like that. But, um, but sometimes my prayer life suffers, and sometimes I forget, and I think I've recently been in a season for that. So when God started working on me with, about this message, it really spoke to me, and it really spoke to me about my prayer life. And often, I do pray about your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope, but I could do it more. Um, so what, did it, what do you think it did for Paul and Silas and Timothy after they prayed these things? When I pray these things about you, it makes me incredibly grateful to see how God is working in his body. It makes me love you even more as God's creation, not falling into the trap of, fall, of focusing on your shortcomings as the world tends to do. When I pray about your work of faith, it inspires me to be faithful and obedient. When I pray about your labor of love, it reminds me that although it may not be easy, it will yield fruit. And when I pray about your steadfastness of hope, it encourages me to focus on the eternal, not the temporary. So let me give you some examples. I frequently pray about Chris Bowers' uh, work on mowing the yards. He's been doing it longer than I even know. I've been here almost nine years. He's been doing it way longer than that. Sometimes I get nervous. He, I am related, and he's out there in the 105, 106 mowing the lawns. And so, of course, I pray for his safety. I pray for the safety of the windows of the church. Some of you know he, he's had a few incidents where we've had to replace windows. But mostly what I pray for and what I pray about is his faithfulness because he has done it week after week, year after year, faithfully. And so when I get tired in some of the things that God has called me to do, I come to mind and I think, well, at least I'm not mowing the grass at 105 degrees, but I really, really appreciate that God has given him that kind of faithfulness. And he's just one example in this church, right? We just had the whole worship team up here. We have Janelle in the background. We got lots of people who serve this church and have for decades without any recognition. They do it because that's what God's created them to do and called them to do, and they're just so faithful. But when I take the time and remember that in my prayers, it encourages me so much. I also pray um, for Zach and Michelle in their labor of love and adoption. I was fortunate to be here when we first started praying about they were going to be adopting. I remember week after week waiting to get the news when they got, you know, when they were going to get Malachi. I felt so invested in that process. But I've also gotten to see up close and personal the tremendous gift that they have given Malachi, how much they love him. That is a gift from God to be able to love a child and adopt them into your family as your very own. And it's just such a beautiful thing to watch. I have also uh, pray about Elizabeth and Nehru's faithfulness in serving our children 
in the nursery and the children's ministry. Niru has been here so long that um, I think she's about to start schooling the babies of the babies that she took care of. She's about to go through another generation, and I just find that fascinating that she's so faithful in her commitment. And I thought about Derek Jones, which I don't know Derek Jones real well. I've had a few conversations with him. But one day I stepped in the hall and he started telling me about his nephew and how he's a part of the Brooks Ministry, Children for Special Needs, if you're not familiar with that, and how they serve during the holidays. I don't remember if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, but I swear the whole hall lit up with Derek's face and the joy that he gets from that ministry. And the power of that love is just amazing to me. I also thank God for Sarah Close. Some of you may know Sarah. It's been a while since she's been able to physically be here, but she's forever in our hearts. And when I came to uh, Sweetwater Christian Church, I was new in my journey of being a widow, and she was the only one here who was a widow. And so I very quietly really started paying attention to Sarah and how she was, because she was a beacon for me about how this journey might go. And I was just so impressed with her steadfastness of hope, her faithfulness in attending, her love for others. I learned many, many, many things from Sarah. And, uh, and she, to this day, those memories of those conversations with her still strengthen me. I'm so grateful for what God is doing through all of you. I could go on and on. Some of you I haven't had the chance to meet yet and to see how God's working through you, but I look forward to that. Um, I also thank God for Zane and Jesse and their faith in action as they answered and accepted God's call to be a part of the church family, to move away from family and friends soon after the pandemic, and with a one-year-old at the time. Talk about, you know, faith and courage to follow what God has called them to do. What an act of obedience as they heard God's call. How I love to see your faith, your love, and your obedience in action. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that He has chosen you. And this is what we need to remember always. God has chosen our brothers and sisters, and really isn't that all we need to know? He chose them, and he also chose us. Verse 5 says, Because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. What a powerful message the gospel is. It's about God's abundant love for us, demonstrated by sending his son, who knew no sin, to die on the cross to atone for our sins and give us eternal life. And we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we may be transformed into Christ's likeness. Transformed lives. That is what they saw in the early church. That's what the early church saw in Paul and Silas and Timothy. That is what you and I get to see in each other. Not one of us is perfect, and I've already proven that today, but we don't need to have to fix one another. The Holy Spirit is transforming us. Verse 6 and 7 go on to tell us how God used the early church. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
God used their church as an example for other believers. God uses our church as an example for other believers. One of the first things that popped into my mind was five years ago when Hurricane Harvey hit. Many of you in this room were an example to other believers. I can remember Rich and Shelly and all the things that they went and did for their friends in the community. Um, I just saw so many people in action. Yvette Ferguson um, went and helped some people and just... Over and over again, I saw the goodness of God, the faithfulness of serving others in the community. In the last several years, navigating COVID and losing a pastor and hiring a new pastor, we have continued to be examples of other to other believers. Uh, one instance that came to mind is during the transition of pastors, we had interim pastors that came and spoke. And one of them was Johnny, was a guest preacher, and, and he was so sweet and so dear, but kind of a hard time, not only for us, but for him too, looking for the church where he's being called to serve. And in the middle of it, he lost his mother. And several people in this church reached out and ministered to him. And it was such a blessing to him that he even thanked the church and was all choked up about it. And you could tell that it had been very impactful you minister to him. You do it in a million different ways all the time. Most of you are unaware of it. That's how God works. A few weeks ago, I was reminded of the power of prayers. For a long time, I've prayed for opportunities to witness to a friend. And every time we're together, sure enough, I'm given an opportunity. And someday you want to talk to me for a long time, I can share every one of those examples with you. But this has been going on for almost 20 years now. And the last time we were together, the thought of praying for an opportunity never even crossed my mind. But I have a prayer partner who's prayed with me all this time. And so after my time with them, the first thing she asked was, well, did you get an opportunity? And boy, that's when it dawned on me, well, I never even asked for an opportunity. And I said, no, I really didn't. But sure enough, I had a chance to get together with my friend, uh, the, the one that I've been trying to witness to, a week later. And out of the blue, one day, he asked me something about the witness, wit, widow's ministry I'm a part of. He asked a detailed question about our strategy of how we decide what and when we're going to publish. I went into detailed explanation, but by the end of my ex long-winded explanation, I was really wondering, why did he ask this? And so instead of being blunt and saying, why do you want to know? I said, did I answer your question? And he said, yes, I've noticed you do series sometimes, and I just wondered why you did that sometimes and not other times. And I was astounded. What is he doing reading the widow's ministry devotionals? Because he's not a believer. And uh, I said, do you read the posts? He said, of course I do, every day. And in that moment, God reminded me, you were concerned that you hadn't prayed for an opportunity, and yet you prayed that long ago, and I'm still answering that. And this gentleman is reading those posts every day, and God is speaking to him through those posts. So it just amazed me to be reminded that God's always answering our prayers. I'm so grateful for the reminder that how important our prayers are, how they not only bless that person, but they also bless us by seeing God's faithfulness. Just like I'm grateful for Paul's letter in First Thessalonians, 
Thessalonians, reminding us to pray for one another and to remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last couple of weeks, I have been blessed by the messages Zach and Jake have prepared. Zach's points about God is our portion stirred my heart, reminding me God is my greatest blessing. Jake's message about how some of the feelings we might have during grief reminded me it's okay to be real with God. He continues to give grace, and we do not need to be perfect. Thank goodness. Being in relationship with God is everything to me. I have a friend who teases me about him. That's how she refers to him, is him. Because every time we have a conversation, she'll say, oh, I'm struggling with this. And I'll say, well, this is what Scripture says. This is what God tells us to do, blah, 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 blah. And then she'll say something else. And I'll say, yeah, well, God showed me. And every conversation, she goes, every single time you bring up him. Well, I love that. I don't want that to change. I want everything that I think and do and is filtered by thinking about God first. I love that my relationship has gotten to a point that he is someone I love to talk to. I remember uh, vividly, I have a dear memory of years ago, I was in Sydney, Australia at the aquarium, which is phenomenal if you ever get a chance to go, and I love sea life. And I walked in and I saw two creatures that I guess were part of the stingray family or manta rays. I don't know exactly what they were, but they were a brown camouflage uh, appearance. But one of them was all camouflage, and the other one was camouflage, and it looked like God had taken a black Sharpie and outlined the pattern of the... And here I am in the middle of a trip. I've been worrying about where I have to be next and this time and that time and what things are going to cost. And I walk in, I, the, my first glance at these two rays was, oh my gosh, God, which one did you do first? Did you do the camouflage and say, oh, this will be great and they'll be able to hide well, but you go, but gosh, that's such a cool pattern. I need to outline it. Or did you do it the other way? You outlined it and said, well, that looks great, but it's not really effective. I'm going to let them have it without the outline so they can hide. I don't know. But I love that memory because in the midst of anything, anywhere, my first thought was to think about God and have a conversation with him. And he is my greatest reward. He is who I live for. When I think about going to heaven someday, I naturally think about how wonderful it will be to see my husband, my dad, my brother, and some dear friends again. But even more, I can't wait to see God face to face and to thank him for loving me and choosing me. I want to thank him for all the things he did through me, and I want to thank him for you, because without you, I wouldn't be as faithful as I am. So with that, I just want to encourage you. Community helps you see God at work. It helps you grow and learn to love each other more. It allows the Holy Spirit to unite and to work through us. Um, So we mentioned earlier, we have small groups going on. Uh, There's a list of them out there in the hallway. Feel free to pick one up. Um, I have one that's going to be meeting on Tuesday. We would love to have you come and join our community and get even closer to us because God has many, many blessings in store for you. So.